0: The British TV Podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV.
1: Hello and welcome to the British TV Podcast. It's show number 48.
0: Hey, we're getting up there. Another month and we can break out the champagne.
1: Whatever we
0: drink in its stead.
1: Clear pop.
0: Claire pop that's what i my drink. family drinks lambic beer instead of champagne for celebrations if you have that it's a fruit beer brewed in belgium i'm not much into it.
1: fruity things
0: you can get well it's it's not super sweet but it's a little sweet it's you can get raspberry currant apple peach or cherry they're very good you buy it in a wine sized bottle hmm and then First, you have to take off the lid like a beer, and then you take a cork out like a bottle of wine. It, it's very good. We, my family's always liked that for special occasions since we discovered it.
1: Boy, drinking and podcasting, that could be dangerous. <laughs> I'm Ryan in Seattle.
0: I'm Chrissy in Seattle. How you doing, Chrissy? I'm good.
1: What have you been up to?
0: Watched all three parts of Sherlock since they were all available for me.
1: Have you watched the the Unshown Pilot? I saw no, that was available on no. certain places. Not
0: yet. Will do.
1: I think I'm going to resist doing it because it, it kind of was a failed pilot. They watched it and said, uh, eh, mm-hmm. we could do the better than this. And they reshot a bunch of stuff and fixed stuff and added stuff. And so I'm not really interested in seeing a work in progress that I don't know what that would add to the mm. series.
0: But the pilot for being human was very interesting to watch. They started earlier in the story for the pilot. They actually had the two main male characters meeting the ghost. Whereas when they started the series one, they were already established as a little family unit, and it was only through flashback you saw how they all got together.
1: Well, the old joke in writing fiction is uh, you write a book, uh, throw away your first chapter. You probably are just doing setup stuff that no one needs to know, and you can just jump right in with chapter two, and and where the story's actually rock and rolling, but a lot of people make that mistake.
0: Hmm, Good idea.
1: So you found an article mentioning our Doctor Who Club in the Telegraph. It was actually last April, or this April, April of this year. And they were mentioning how popular British TV is in America, and they listed off a couple of names of different Doctor Who groups, including the Society of the Rusting Tardis, which they apparently found very amusing, saying, don't the people in Seattle know that Tardises are made of wood?
0: <laughs> well, not the insides. There's exactly. <laughs> any number of materials found inside the Tardis, including coral occasionally and Leopard print, maybe, you know?
1: And it's a play on a very famous Seattle aphorism, right. which is people in Seattle don't tan, we rust. Yes. So if people could rust, so could the TARDIS. And by the way, the TARDIS is not even made of wood anymore. It used to be made of wood. It is actually made of fiberglass that is painted to look like wood.
0: It does look beautiful these days. They, they did a good job with the latest model.
1: It had to look good in high def, apparently. Yep. This week's show, we have news. What's on British TV this week? Shows running in, in the United States. DVD releases And we're going to list the best British TV shows to turn your friends or family into fans. In our humble opinion. Yeah. News. The BBC announced, to the surprise of almost nobody, at least here at this podcast, that beginning in October, Graham Norton will be moving his chat show to Friday nights in Jonathan Ross's old time slot. It's a bit of a no-brainer, really. And Graham has paid his dues to the BBC. He started out on BBC Two in 2007 after he came over from Channel 4, and then he got promoted to BBC One last October. His new season will begin on October 22nd.
0: Yeah, and they had him doing something a little different at the beginning, too. Remember the bigger picture where he'd have three or four guests on and they would discuss news? And then they decided, ah, heck, let's let him do what he does best, the Graham Norton show, and back he was doing his signature style of show.
1: And some of my friends are already boo-hooing, missing Jonathan Ross. I said, he's going to be on ITV next year. Yeah. And they're like, but will he have the four hoofs and a piano? Yes. I don't know if they are taking it with him. That might have been a BBC gimmick. But he'll be back. Oh, and Ross is going to be doing a film program for BBC Four later this year. So he's going to be on the BBC anyway. Last week, Doctor Who showrunner Stephen Moffat announced that the next season of Do- the series will be shown in two halves. Oh, there will be a massive cliffhanger at the end of Episode 7 of the Spring Run, and then viewers will have to wait until autumn for the six-episode conclusion. Moffat said, quote, The split series is hugely exciting because viewers will be treated to two premieres, two finales, and more event episodes. For the kids, it will never be more than a few months to the next Doctor Who, Easter, Autumn, Christmas. So what do you think? What is a better place for Doctor Who to be on in the spring or in the autumn. Well, my
0: fandom only goes back 5 years but or 6 depending on how you're counting it, but to me spring is Doctor Who time. I just love this because I love summer so much that I like I like spring because it's a countdown to summer because I can see because I'm so dreadfully night blind that I sort of have to hibernate most weeknights all winter. I can't really go out because I can't see to drive anywhere and so i love spring because it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter and so in that mind it's linked with and doctor who's on great two great things so we'll see maybe it'll be making staying in less sad when i'm in in autumn as the nights are getting darker and darker again and i'm when i first started Coming to do the podcast with you, it was dark, and I could just not see coming down this hill to where I park at your house. And now I know how to get out of the parking spot pretty well, but I was just so terrified I'd fall into a ditch or hit a truck or something in those early days. Couldn't see a thing.
1: Well, at least I have streetlights now. I didn't need yeah. any streetlights at my old house. Well. It's funny you say that because I think the daylight kind of hurts the ratings. I mean, as Doctor Who gets into June and July, the Mm -hmm. weather's just too nice for people to be staying in at 6 o'clock on a Saturday night when it's getting dark at 9.30. Doctor Who is meant to scare kids. That's the whole point of the show. And when it's on in the autumn, it's dark out. I mean, imagine watching Blink in the dark when you Mm. know it's dark outside. It's just not the same in June. So I think it's a brilliant move. I, I wish they'd just moved the whole thing to autumn, but this certainly is the next best thing. And I'm sure Moffat has got something really clever up his sleeve. They he says it's going to be an amazing mind bending plot twist. Hmm. Now, the most outrageous thing he could do would be obviously kill off Matt Smith in the middle of the season and bring in a new doctor. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to do that. I and mean, there's, would be too
0: long to leak if it happened, or
1: that's true. It'd be impossible. They're, the, they're filming right now. There's mm-hmm. no way they could shoot for six months and with a new guy and not have that word leak out. Second of all, you don't want to kill off Matt Smith after a year and a half. I mean, unless Benedict Cumberbatch agreed to sign up for you know a five year deal and do Sherlock, he's you know you're not going to get rid of Matt Smith. So it kind of makes you wonder what he could possibly do. You know, blow up the TARDIS, or you know, strand the Doctor in an alternative universe, or something. Big and cliffhanger. I mean, after the the Pandorica opens, you know he can really deliver a pretty big size cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. In fact, he's considering it. I saw a quote from him, uh, or rather an interview with him, that was done in Edinburgh, which is where everybody was last week for the International Television Festival. And he considers that next year will be season six and season seven. They're going to call each section a different season. Hmm. That must, might be a marketing thing. Because he says most British TV shows only have six-episode seasons anyway.
0: Hey, yeah, two DVD box sets to go on sale.
1: They probably would release them in in two different chunks like that, especially to get people, you know, to watch the spring series and be up to, caught up when the fall one gets as, as a better, bigger premiere. Yeah, Doctor Who hasn't been on for over six months out of the year since 1981, when they made 28 episodes one year. And since then, it's only been running for 13 weeks, either because they would run two episodes a week, like they did during the Peter Davison era, or they only made 13 a year. So for most kids, it's you know Doctor Who is on for 13 weeks and then off for nine months. So this is actually kind of a cool idea to not make people wait quite as much. And this is Moffat's idea. This is not a BBC marketing guy going to him and saying, "Hey, Stephen, we've just got this brilliant idea." I mean, this came from him, and he wants to do it this way. So. We'll see. The Director General of the BBC, Mark Thompson, made the keynote speech during last week's Edinburgh International Television Festival. Besides slagging off Rupert Murdoch and Sky TV and defending the BBC in general, he announced, quote, At the BBC, we want to rise to the challenge. Within a year, we aim to launch an international commercial version of the iPlayer. Now, what was I just talking about last week? People outside of the UK listening to my voice, this is the holy grail. Legal access to British TV on demand. Yes, you'd have to pay for it, but the money would go direct to the BBC, the organization that makes the shows you want to watch. And you have to bet that once ITV and Channel 4 see how much free money the BBC are making from this, they'll jump on the bandwagon too. So, happy days. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. And finally, the BBC is going to make a pilot out of the late Douglas Adams series, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective series for BBC4. The other science fiction series by the creator of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has previously been adapted by Radio 4 in 2007 with Harry Enfield. One of the Gently novels is well known among Doctor Who fans for recycling the plot Adams had originally used in Shada, a 1979 Tom Baker story that was never finished because of a strike at the BBC. Have you read any of those? Nope. Adams is actually very famous for being the king of recycling. Several of his uh, Doctor Who plots, including a movie that he wrote for Tom Baker called Doctor Who and the Cricket Men, ended up getting recycled as one of the later hitchhikers got out of the Galaxy books with Slardy Bardfast in a bistro mathematics (laughs) pub (laughs) that could travel through time and space, basically filling in for the Doctor. What's on TV for the week of September 1st to the 7th? Wednesday, it's a new term for Waterloo Road on BBC One, the school-based drama set in Manchester. And there's also an extra episode on Thursday. Now, it's aimed at kids, but I already like Waterloo Road. I mean, it's a serial, but it gives them an excuse to tackle issues important to kids. And their cast is always changing because they're getting older, they graduate on, and they bring in a new crop of them. And frequently you'll see like a lot of the kids from Shameless will then now turn up in Waterloo Road.
0: So it's not like that 70s show where they were in high school for eight years, huh?
1: No, okay. they don't keep the kids around. They get new ones. And there's new teachers coming and going. Yeah, there's only like one character who I think has been on the entire run because they have gone through quite a few teachers and stuff. And they've done, you know, soap Barber like things. they blown up the school at one point. It's a good drama. I, I, I enjoyed it, and it's obviously not aimed at people my age.
0: <laughs> okay. Thursday. The King is Dead begins on BBC3. Simon Bird from The Inbetweeners plays an interviewer in this spoof panel game show where James Corden, Sarah Beanie, and Peaches Geldof are up for the job of assistant regional head of sales.
1: Have you seen The Inbetweeners? No. Oh. It was uh, very funny. and That's coming back very shortly on E4. Friday, Channel 4 continues Pete vs. Life.
0: BBC Two Counters with Roger and Val have just got in.
1: And Friday ends with Would I Lie to You on BBC One with guests Patrick Kilty, Bernard Cribbins, Deborah Meaden, and Mark Watson. Ooh, Bernard Cribbins, he's going to be great.
0: Saturday, ITV One continues the game show Odd One In.
1: Sunday, the 1960s police drama Heartbeat is on ITV One.
0: It's followed by... You be dead, a mystery drama starring David Morrissey and Tara Fitzgerald. It's based on a true story about a couple threatened via text messages sent by a stalker. And the you be dead, of course, is abbreviated capital U.
1: Alan Carr, Chetty Man, is Sunday on Channel Four with guests Katy Perry, Davina McCall, Paul O'Grady, and Brandon Flowers. Paul Grady and Alan Carr on the same stage. It's, uh,
0: <laughs> They'll start talking in Polari and no one will know else will know what's going on. Yeah. Okay, Monday. Who do you think you are is on BBC One.
1: Doctor Who with the Proms is on BBC three, recorded from the performance at the Royal Albert Hall on July twenty fourth. Now you can see and hear Matt Smith, Karen Gillen, and all the monsters, as well as music from the series by Murray Gold.
0: Did you see Matt Smith's performance in that? It's up on YouTube. It begins as a film of him on the TARDIS, and then he climbs out of a trap door and runs around the Albert Hall and finds a little boy and does a skit with him. It's really quite brilliantly sustained. It's very cute.
1: It'll it'll be in this. I heard it live. I actually was streaming it on Radio 3 on July 24th, and I basically kind of avoided watching things. I knew they were going to show it on TV, so i get a chance to see it here next week.
0: ITV1 begins a three-part drama, Bouquet of Barbed Wire, starring Trevor Eve, a modern reworking of an original novel by Andrea Newman, which explores the consequences of a father's obsessive love for his daughter.
1: BBC2 continues, Simon Amstel's Grandma's House.
0: Him and Her, starring Russell Tovey and Sarah Soleimani, begins on BBC3. It's a sitcom about a young, working-class couple who mostly hang out in bed and have their friends and neighbors pop in. We did a feature on good old Russell Tovey back in show 42.
1: Tuesday, Ideal with Johnny Vegas continues on BBC Three. I like Ideal. There's some really, really great lines, but it's also not afraid to have lots of senseless violence. Oh. And Janine Groffalo is super sweet.
0: Great. Channel 4 begins a new four-part drama, This Is England '86. Based on the BAFTA award-winning This Is England, Sean is now preparing to leave school and, with over 3.4 million Brits unemployed, faces an uncertain future.
1: You'll have to go to Germany and work on a building site. Oh, wait, mm. no, that was off Wiedersehen yep. <laughs> In the United States on BBC America, Monday, Top Gear and James May's Toy Stories.
0: Being human is on Tuesday only because of the Labor Day weekend over the um, Labor Day holiday weekend.
1: The Sundance Channel has Shameless on Friday nights.
0: The Independent Film Channel has an Ideal Marathon on Sunday afternoon and continues the new season of The IT Crowd on Tuesday.
1: On Adult Swim on Friday night is Look Around You at 1.30 a.m.
0: On PBS's Masterpiece Mystery, this Sunday there's new episodes of Lewis.
1: And DVD releases this week. Foyle's War, Volume 6. World War II is over, but Michael Kitchens' detective chief inspector, Christopher Foyle, still finds a few crimes to solve in Hastings before finally retiring to America. Fans of Sherlock might find the last episode, The Hyde," particularly interesting for one of its guest stars. I will say no more.
0: Agatha Christie's Marple, Series 5, starring Julia McKenzie, is also available on DVD.
1: And the Red Riding Trilogy comes out on Blu-ray. Andrew Garfield... David Morrissey and Sean Bean star in this hunt for the Yorkshire Ripper that spans years.
0: Yeah, great cast in that. Leslie Sharp's in it. Patty Considine.
1: It's very well, good. Leslie Sharp's going to be in a series written by Sally Rainwhite that's coming up. We'll have to do a feature on Sally Rainwhite. She wrote some really great shows, including At Home with the Braithwives. Well, our feature this week is the best shows to introduce British TV to someone. Okay. Let's say you have a friend who says, there are no good shows on TV. But you, dear listener, know there are many fine British TV shows. Or maybe it's time to wean someone off a diet of Are You Being Served and Keeping Up Appearances on PBS with some slightly more modern television. Here's our guide to some good starter shows to get them hooked. And most of these, unless we note otherwise, are available on DVD in the United States or probably maybe on Netflix. I don't have Netflix. I don't know exactly how that works, but... Many programs are available via Netflix. Well, I have some friends who don't have cable TV. In fact, they only get one broadcast station, and that's Fox. So I lend them a lot of DVDs. And in the past, some American shows I've given them are like Northern Exposure, Heroes, Battlestar Galactica, Mad Men, The Venture Brothers, and Archer. They're about my age, so what do you think would be good British shows to give them?
0: At work, i give a lot of special little mini-series if I'm really involved in it. I will give them out at work, loan it around. Um, For instance, The Day Britain Stopped, just because I work in a field where we deal with emergency services, everybody had to watch that. Why don't you explain what that is? That was a what-if scenario fake documentary looking back at a fictional day when traffic nightmares closed down major parts of Great Britain. But they used the actual... Emergency services in place to deal with such as scenarios that's they imagined that that 's what would have been deployed, for instance um, in this fictional scenario plane two planes collide over West London, so the Heathrow Airport decides to send its dedicated fire department to West London to help fire the fires there, which means they have to close down Heathrow, which is something that that 's what would have happened if they had made that decision. And they put up a website, the BBC had a very good website too, just explaining the chain of events and who would be making these decisions and sending out different emergency services. I work in disaster relief, that's during the day, so it was just an interesting topic for everybody at work to
1: see this. The documentary was done in that very autopsy sort of way the BBC does a documentary after the fact of some disaster with, you know, the serious voiceover guy and recreations of stuff mm-hmm. and found footage, you know, security footage and Right. When you see the explosion,
0: and... it's just a security camera near a safe way and you just see it in the corner of the frame sort of thing. And, and
1: if you didn't know better, you would think it would really happen. Of course, you remember, I don't recall anything yeah. like this happening. And the whole point of it is talking about the fragility of the British infrastructure system and how one thing cascades on and right. it's all because of overworked air traffic controller because she couldn't get relief from her job because the traffics were built up and so she made a mistake and then two planes collided.
0: Well, so, that, so that's something that everybody at work watched. I really liked State of Play, the miniseries, so several people took that home.
1: It's certainly a very great miniseries by Paul Abbott and it was so good they made it into a Russell Crowe movie mm-hmm. so obviously somebody liked it but you should check out the original BBC version with yeah. good old John Sim and Philip Glenester. It and came out
0: on, David on DVD
1: here. Oh it's available yeah.
0: Just a couple years ago and they it was very funny they changed the cover from the British version and made James McAvoy's picture as big as that of the other stars just because he's become a movie star even though it's a smaller part as far as all the parts in the show go he's he's in it a lot but he's not one of the leads it's just means. marketing i mean yeah it was funny though
1: but worth checking out and you may have seen the russell crowe one on cable or whatever but go watch the original one and yeah that would be a good one because again it's uh, you know a fixed length there yeah i really was kind of thinking series for a lot of these mm-hmm. uh ideas but yeah maybe people don't want to Get yeah. sucked into something that run ran for years and years and years.
0: I don't know if I'd have really a lot of success getting them onto a series as much as I do. Like this is a great little three-hour mini-series. Watch this. I loan out a lot of DVDs that way. I have friends who are really interested in things like River Cottage, the Supersizers documentaries with Giles Coren and Sue Perkins eating their way through different uh, times. And ages past, like they'd eat and dress and act for a week as if they were during the Blitz or back in Roman times. That was a real big success. And then slightly younger, than, I'm, I'm on the young side of my coworkers. workers um, So the younger people, I've definitely gotten them into things like Spaced and Graham Norton. And Graham Norton, now they can watch that on yeah, BBC, but 10 years ago they couldn't. So I got some started early on that.
1: So you, you're actually finding though that it's easier to do a mini series or special beginning, middle, and end rather than some open mm-hmm. running series like say Doctor Who that you know yeah is just going to keep on going and going and going that they want to sit down and just see something that they can watch and then move on to something else right hmm.
0: I have a second job in a TV station and I keep a lot of people there interested in things too and my friend Tom who I give a lot of stuff recommendations to he likes miniseries, too. He likes something good and meaty that he can sit down and consume completely rather than ongoing things.
1: Hmm. That's very interesting. I hadn't thought about that.
0: A lot of my fans found The Office on their own. I don't know exactly where they saw it. I guess BBC America.
1: Have you ever shown it to somebody who just didn't get it, though?
0: I have some people who really hate cringe comedy, and and since they've heard that's what it is, they will refuse to watch it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think you have to have a certain kind of mindset. I'm not sure I would take someone who's just used to American sitcom humor and just throw them the deep end with The Office.
0: I was really surprised how incredibly raunchy it was when I watched it. Is not it? offended, but just rather surprised. Yeah, very much so. In what way? Oh, just some of the things they say to the secretary would get somebody slapped with a lawsuit in two seconds. So they're going about how naturalistic and believable it was. but
1: Do you I... ever watch Audourage? Ari e. Gold, the agent, I mean, the stuff that comes out of his mouth is just, you know, where do he get that mouth from? Of course, it was at HBO. Probably the oldest recommendation I would make on this list would be Blackadder. You know, right in the 1980s, but the second, third, and fourth series are pretty good. And they sort of get away from that sort of cringe comedy because Blackadder was sort of meant to be the comic hero of it. And certainly in the second series, he ends up coming on top most of the time. Mm -hmm. But very funny series. And most people are now familiar with Hugh Laurie and maybe to a lesser extent Stephen Fry in this country. And they will recognize actors in this and enjoy it. Mr. Bean was very popular here for a while. But I know that's kind of an acquired taste with some people, too. You ever been a Bean fan?
0: We've actually shown that at pledge drives, and all our volunteers usually just read or knit or chat or eat during the shows being shown, but they had us put it on the big screen and crank it up, and they were in tears laughing. It was kind of fun.
1: Don't even need audio for Mr. Bean. I mean, you just watch him. Mm -hmm. He's a silent movie character. I know a lot of people who have gotten very excited about black books. Hmm which was a comedy starring Dylan Moran and... Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey.
0: Samson Gregg.
1: About a... Oh, how would you describe his character? Iconoclastic?
0: Very Dylan Moran-esque. Uh.
1: Yes. Uh, owner of a small bookshop who doesn't really even like his customers. He finds them very inconvenient and treats them all very poorly. And he ends up getting kind of a hippie assistant played by Bill Bailey. And more than once, I've had people tell me about this great series they've seen called Black Books. And of course, I yes, I've seen this show. I know about it. But people seem to really, who I wouldn't think would be into British TV, have discovered it and seem to find that be a very good show. So that may be something that people should seek out and check out. They might find it really tickles their funny bone because he's such a great, grumpy character.
0: It's a very silly show. You have to be willing to embrace the silly.
1: It never gets quite Father Ted silly, though.
0: It's it's similar a similar vein. I kind of pair it with Father Ted in that it gets a little sillier than I think American sitcoms. Well, I don't watch a lot of them, but I... I...
1: The, the best American sitcom that was pretending to be a British sitcom to me was Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. It had kind of black, odd humor and strange characters and strange things going on. And... At the time when they were talking about doing a remake of The Office, my attitude was, you don't need to do that. There's already a show like that on TV. It's called Arrested Development. But The Office went on to be a huge success anyway, and so there you go. There's always Life on Mars because that's certainly very self-contained. There's only 16 episodes, two seasons of eight each. Is that right? Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Eight? I thought it was more than that. Weren't very many.
1: Yeah, it's two seasons in any case. But it
0: it caught on in a big way because I know that Entertainment Weekly did a big spread and interviewed the actors and had pictures and everything. So I was really surprised to see that. I didn't know it had made quite that much of an impact here.
1: Well, not that they actually did a remake of it, Mm -hmm. and you probably know the premise. Modern-day policeman is stuck back in the 1970s with Gene Hunt as his superior and part of it is sort of this nostalgia 70s throwback and it's also you know a parody of certain 70s cop shows like The Sweeney. But you don't really need to know that just to appreciate how much fun watching Gene Hunt is and his clashes continually with the uh, Johnson character there. And if you like that, you can of course then watch Ash Dashes where they continue this whole premise and then it actually comes to an actual conclusion. You mentioned another cooking show on your list here, and that was Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares. This of course, be good old Gordon Ramsay. The
0: British version.
1: Now, is that shown over here, or do they make an American version of that? Well,
0: they make an American version, which is on network television. They also show the British episodes cut down incredibly. Channel 4 in the UK, they're an hour show, just with a few minutes out for commercials. But they take that, they cut it down to a half-hour show. And insert commercials and show it on BBC America. So they cut out gigantic hunks of the original British. So if you're able to watch them on or Yo- out all the YouTube or something hour, right? like that. Yeah, just cut out the swear words. They're so different. The American is, if there's a problem with a restaurant, they film the owners behaving terribly. They send them away. They hire designers to come in and speedily make over this restaurant and bring people back and go, here is your new restaurant with all these beautiful new... Italian plates we've given you, and here is your new menu, blah, blah, blah. Whereas it's so much more practical and interesting in the UK version because each restaurant they've chosen has a different problem. It might be the food's awful. It might be it's just not promoted. might be it's overstaffed or the staff is fighting. Gordon has, if he has one ability beyond being a good creator of delicious food, is he can just walk into a place and observe it for less than an hour and really pinpoint exactly what's wrong and give them of ideas of how they can take steps to fix it. And for instance, if a place is kind of unappealing looking, he might they might close it for an afternoon. Everybody on staff cleans. They pick they paint slap some white paint on the walls, they go to the local arts college and get some of the students to bring their artwork over and hang it on a rotating basis. Boom, now the place is decorated. Rather than bringing in a designer to do it, you know, with the whole line donated by XXS. It's just much different. Well, if you've
1: seen Gordon Ramsay on Fox, then uh, you can get his original British version on DVD in this country, and uh, you might find that uh, a more entertaining program. I would like to get people to watch or at least try Doctor Who, even if they're not real science fiction fans. And I think the proof's in the pudding that it is very popular with mainstream audiences, again, in England. So I don't think you have to be kind of a big nerd in order to appreciate it. Where do you think someone should jump in if they're going to try? If you wanted to try someone cold who's never seen Doctor Who before, where would you start them?
0: Well, we did that this week with my 16-year-old that is the inspiration for us putting these lists together. She watched Blink. With a friend who had seen every Doctor Who episode, sitting there and providing information of this is why he said that and this is what's going on there. What if you didn't
1: have a friend handy like that?
0: introduced some people right up with the Christopher Eccleston era, and they liked it a lot.
1: So with Rose.
0: Mm-hmm. With Rose.
1: I can attest to that. I When it first came out, I had a copy with it, and I was down in Portland with some friends, and this guy didn't have cable. He didn't even have TV. He was like, well, what should we watch? I said, well, I've got this disc here, and there was this girl. I said, well, would you like to see the first episode of Doctor Who? And she says, I've never seen Doctor Who. What do I need to know? And I said, you don't need to know anything. It is completely explained in this episode. Mm-hmm. And she watched it, and I said afterwards, what would you think? And she says, Huh, oh, that's Doctor Who, huh? Oh, it's pretty good. And I thought, ka-ching! Mm-hmm. You know, for me, obviously, I, that by the time Rose came out, I'd been a Doctor Who fan for 20 years. So, you know, yeah. I, I would have liked it no matter what they were doing. But I think that shows the power of it, that it was able to reintroduce a new generation to the series and set up basic things you need to know, and then you're off. You think the Eccleston series is strong enough to to suck somebody in until they get to, you know, arguably slightly more popular David Tennant episodes?
0: Yeah. I I mean, I know a lot of people who prefer Eccleston too, but I had a couple people who really hadn't watched it at all, didn't know about it. And they liked it a lot from starting them with Rose and seeing the whole first series.
1: Yeah, something I would not have done in the... 80s, 90s, or all well, 90s for that matter, you know, showing old classic Doctor Who to people because you really had to be kind of a science fiction buff or you know, appreciate it. But I think it is made the way modern television is made now, and you could do a lot worse than uh, showing somebody Doctor Who. Another side fi show they might enjoy would be Red Dwarf because mm-hmm. yeah. it's just goofy, funny lad comedy, and the premise is so basic. You know, these are just two guys stuck in outer space and arguing with each other. And the first season in particular goes back to almost like porridge, you know, two guys in a cell talking to each Mm -hmm. other because these guys really are sort of trapped together. And they didn't have a lot of money in those days, and that's pretty much all they could really do. And then the cast got bigger and bigger, and then they realized they actually really could do science fiction plots. But, you know, even going back to the earliest episodes, it works pretty well. And it's proven very popular over the years. And, you know, if someone's got a good sense of humor, I think Red Dwarf would uh, be something they might find quite amusing. Now, along the drama front... There's a lot of good stuff showing on PBS these days. In fact, mm-hmm. even right here. And there's even a whole night, I think Saturday night's here. They have a three different series. And I'm thinking one of those shows people will like. You never predict what people are going to really want to see. But if they sample one of these three shows, one of them is probably going to, you know, wind their clock. And the first would be Lark Rise to Candleford. And that's going to appeal more to the costume drama, classic masterpiece theater kind of set, because it's set in the 19th century, very amiably paced, but it's a character show, it's character drama, you know, a real slice of life of Britain that doesn't exist anymore. And if you just like a good quality, solid drama, if you're like, we're a fan of the uh, Waltons without being quite as saccharine but that kind of, you know, solid family entertainment show, that's a really good one. And that segues into Doc Martin, which is set in the present day, got martin clunes very watchable leading man it's very funny he's a doctor who's relocates to a small village in cornwall and everybody in the village is a wacky personality character and E. McNeese is a handyman who becomes a restaurateur Catherine parkinson plays his annoying secretary he falls in love with the local primary school teacher and it's just kind of a nice charming britishism series it's not unlike northern exposure in a very british sort of way and then that's followed by mi5 aka spooks you know hard driven action series about spies there's lots of running around the pace never stops there's betrayals they often will kill off major characters i mean it's kind of like watching 24 so there's three very different sh- series that kind of you know, shows you the state of modern British television mm-hmm. and drama. And likely that somebody stumbling upon of these would find one of these shows really interesting and want to see more. I just wouldn't want to predict who, who would be on which one. And also The, uh, the Foils War, say the, one of the DVDs just came out, and that's been shown recently on Masterpiece Mystery and those are really good period dramas. You know, It's set in World War II, so lots of costumes and big cars and stuff like that. But they all have very, very good mysteries. It's all written by Anthony Horowitz, a very good writer. And Michael Kitchen is just really excellent, and Honeysuckle Weeks is his driver-slash-friend. And for people who want to see a nice period drama, because we don't get period dramas on American TV... <laughs> anymore. They tried a couple of wartime based ones a few years ago. I think the last one that I would think of as successful probably would be China Beach. It was set during the Vietnam War. Mm I mean, You you could call that a period show. And it very much got the characters in the 70s. But that kind of costume drama that, that the British TV just does so well. And it's good mysteries and good drama and I think people would enjoy those. And then because I don't know when people will be listening to this. Maybe months from now you'll be listening to this show. And so if you if it's run, check out Sherlock. It'll be starting at the end of October on uh, Masterpiece Mystery. I think Sherlock is going to be really big in this country. Right now there's three self-contained 90 minute movies. They're going to make more. They're going to stick to this 90 minute format, and very well done. You've seen them now. Mm-hmm. First class production values. Great acting. If you even have a passing familiarity with Sherlock Holmes material, you will recognize lots of elements they've worked in there because it's made by people who love the books and want to basically introduce it to a modern audience. It's going to be a big feather in PBS's cap when they get this. I think they're going to get a, generate up a lot of publicity for it, and people will be watching their PBS stations on Sunday nights because they want to catch this. And then, before you know it, it's already over. Mm-hmm. Were, that was the main complaint in England was, why well, yeah. can only May 3. Three?
0: Three? Yeah, they were very unhappy about that in the forum I looked at, too.
1: But they're making more, and uh, it gives a chance to make them good quality ones. And it's nice they're not going to try to make it into a 60-minute show. That, you know, that was the whole thing with the unaired pilot was they discovered that 60 minutes just wasn't the right length to tell the kind of stories they wanted to tell. So there'll be more of those coming out. Some other comedies I might mention. Coupling, also by Stephen Moffat. Mm-hmm. We talked about it in uh, earlier shows. It's slightly risque. I don't think my mom would find it uh, amusing, but nice modern comedy with young people in various relationships and things like that. And it's very clever. It's very funny. And you don't think you could go wrong picking up the DVDs or that's on Netflix, checking out an episode of that, and you will laugh pretty hard.
0: Well, I had put together a list and I realized a lot of these really aren't available in the United States, but something that is is Big Train finally came out, I think due to the success of Simon Pegg and his films because he was a cast member. It was a sketch show. It was kind of odd because they ran two seasons, but the two seasons were about five years apart and each season had the same men in it, Kevin Eldon, Mark Heap and Simon Pegg, but they switched out the ladies the first series uh, Julie Davis was in but the second one it was Rebecca Front and Catherine Tate and Tracy Ann Oberman so but it's just extremely smart sketch comedy and every single skit takes a premise that you think you that anyone would know like the back of their hand and it just tweaks one little element to it and then plays the skit out and just doing that with every single skit that was their whole intention was funny 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 (laughs)
1: Yeah, the sketch is not for everybody, but yeah, uh, Big Train's good. Uh, Mitchell and Webb Look, which uh, mm-hmm. BBC America have been showing, and if you really are grooving on Mitchell and Webb Look, you can try Peep Show, which is not a show for everybody. It runs late night on Channel 4. And it's it, it is kind of a cringe comedy, because mm-hmm. both the characters played by Robert Webb and David Mitchell are kind of losers who are their own worst enemies and always make situations worse for themselves. But it's got a great conceit where you can hear the character's thoughts and it's all done from their point of views. And it's coming back for a 7th season later this year. It's the now the longest running comedy on Channel 4. Wow. But you might have friends who find that uh, amusing. And if you like The Office, you know do check out Ricky Gervais and Extras. That was a good series. Yep.
0: I Lots of celebrities that. in
1: it and good funny things and it shows you that he has a sentimental side.
0: That's true, especially the two-part finale. He does like a two-part wrap-up finale <laughs> for his projects.
1: Yeah. So there are a couple ideas. I think try some of those shows on your friends, and maybe they will, too, become Anglophiles. You need to subscribe to BBC America or watch the PBS station more often. Or subscribe to this podcast. woo <laughs> So next week... I thought we would talk about David Renwick. Sounds good. He is a writer, and among his credits are writing some very memorable sketches for the two Ronnies. One Foot in the Grave, Jonathan Creek, and Love Soup.
0: I noticed that Ronnie Corbett has a show on right now. Did you see that? The first episode just aired, and where he's interviewing a guest, and the guest number one was Rob Brydon. And it was, the question is, what would you eat for your last meal, and Why? So I thought, I have to watch that. I have to see if this is any good, because I'm always up on cooking shows. The premise is he has a guest. Rob Bryden's the first one. What would you eat if it was your last meal, and why?
1: And, of course, uh, Ronnie Corbett was a uh, guest on Who'd I Lie to You last week, so that kind of makes sense. They're kind of crossing over. And, then, of course, Rob Brydon always trotting out his Ronnie Corbett impersonation mm-hmm. in the show. I was show.
0: wondering if he would do it, because I've seen him do Dueling Ronnie Corbett's with Steve Coogan before, so I wondered... If you would duel the real
1: Ronnie, we looked it up and it's Ronnie Corbett's Supper Club and it runs on the digital channel Good Food, which is available on channel 249 on Sky or 260 on Virgin. So if you happen to have digital cable or digital satellite in Britain, check out Ronnie Corbett's Supper Club on Tuesday nights. Yeah, so next week, David Renwick. Meanwhile, we'd like you to go to our website, which is www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 47 shows. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, because we didn't get any last week, Mm -hmm. it's feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. right So, yes, I'll have some new premieres here, some drama premieres coming up this week, and I'm continuing to... Enjoy Ideal and Grandma's House. I guess that's all for this week. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Next week. Bye bye. Bye.